Um, it doesn't work for me. There, it buzzed, so, all right. First question for review, we've got 12. Uh, somebody describe for me Absalom's physical appearance. The, the scriptures spend about three or four verses on that in chapter 14, starting around verse 25. Rob. Yeah, he was he's described as the most handsome in all Israel. There's something else particular about him as well. Long hair, heavy hair. I think something in the range of three pounds. And I did want to mention that last class. I've encountered people before when I was studying with people, and they use that as some sort of an evidence that, well, the Bible can't be true because nobody can grow three pounds of hair in a year or whatever it is. That's just simply not true. Different people have different thicknesses of hair, different weights of hair. And then when you consider also back in that day and time, they would put... Um, oils and things like that in their hair, it, would be, it wouldn't be unusual, it would be unusual for it to be that heavy, but not out of the realm of possibility, and since it's actually describing him in that way, um, it's certainly within, within the realm of possibility. Describes him also as having no defect, so moving on to the next question, how long was Absalom in Jerusalem before he got to see David again? This is when he's coming back from Geshur. Anybody remember how long? Two years. I've heard several people say two years. Yeah, two full years, the scriptures tell us, because of the, the way of time reckoning. But a whole 24 months, it would appear. How did Absalom get Joab's attention finally? Yeah, he took his barley field. Hey, Joab's field's next to mine. He's grown barley there, set it on fire. It's going to cost Joab a little bit, for a good bit probably for him to do that, but he did set his barley field on fire, and that got his attention pretty quick. Uh, he had already tried to get his attention to come and, and see him twice, so uh, nevertheless. How, many, how did Absalom win over a lot of the people? What was he doing? Yeah, he's pretty sly, wasn't he? He's... He's, <clears throat> he's got all these men to run before him and donkeys and all this kind of stuff, and he sits kind of on the road outside the gate, catches people as they come by and says, basically says, you've got a case, it's pretty good, but this king's not going to give you satisfaction with that. He's just going to drop the ball, and you're not going to get justice. Only if I, were, if I were in charge, then there would be justice to be gotten. Um, how long does Absalom take? to plan his revolt from the time that he's reconciled to David, comes before him and kneels before him. How long does it take? Well, it sounds like years. He's, uh, two years. He's, he's yeah. He was in Geshur for three years. That's after he kills Amnon. Then he, he comes back, the woman of Tekoa, tells the story to David, and they said, yeah, we'll invite him back, but he can't see my face. He's back for two years. Then he comes before David, kneels before, the, before David, and they, they reconcile. And then it's four years later, four years of him sitting outside the gate saying, your case is good, but you're not going to get any kind of satisfaction from bringing your case before the king. Four full years of him doing that. Now, where did Absalom go to proclaim himself king? It's kind of a significant place. Hebron, Hebron, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. We'll say Hebron. Um, what's significant about it? 
Yeah, that's where David was king. It's, it's making a statement. There's a new king, uh, and that's exactly the statement he makes. Um, <clears throat> what important advisor did Absalom recruit? He was a guy, a, a Gilanite. Ahithophel, not the greatest baby name nowadays, but Ahithophel is the guy, Ahithophel the Gilanite. Um, we'll look at his family history today. Somebody mentioned the last class from back that direction. Can't remember exactly who. It's Bathsheba's grandfather, and you know, we'll trace that, So, just so you know. What did David decide to do after Absalom revolted? Absalom's king in Hebron, and David decides what? We've got to get out of here. We've got to get out of Jerusalem. We're, he's gonna, you know, everybody's going to die unless we leave. So it's kind of, kind of quick, at least from what the scriptures record for us. Not a lot of um, toying around with the idea of staying and fighting and all of that. We're just going to get out of here. So flee Jerusalem. Who did David leave behind in Jerusalem? That's going to come up again tonight. Yeah, there's, there's ten women, ten concubines there. He's leaving them there to keep the house, which... I mentioned Wednesday, it's, it's an odd thing to do related to chapter 12 and what Nathan told him. This is what's going to happen to your wives. Well, this is, well, how the, hey, this is the perfect storm, right, for that to happen. So anyway, the ten concubines are there to keep the house. What three foreign people groups went out with David? I don't know. That we, we've gotten there. We did that last class. Yeah, Paratha, the, the Cherethites or Carathites, Pelethites, Gittites, they're all people from Gath that had, it appears from him talking to one of them, uh, which was Ittai the Gittite, that he has basically been uh, defected from Gath over to David's service, which makes you think maybe the rest of them had done that too. They were sort of David's royal guard and actually executioners. Uh, on David's behalf, uh, if that came to, about to be a need, which apparently did from time to time. So, Carathites, Pelethites, Gittites. What does David want Zadok and Abiathar to do? Now, they're the, high, they're the priests, and they come out when David's fleeing, and they stand at the brook Kidron with the Ark of the Covenant, and the people pass over before, and we talked about that Wednesday night. But he tells them to take the Ark back to Jerusalem. Kind of says something about David's understanding. God is not, God doesn't come to, to us, we come to him, is kind of the idea behind that. But what does he want Zadok and Abiathar to do? Yeah, he sets up this, this spy network. You've got sons, each one of you got a son, I want you to use them to run messages to me so that I'll know what's going on back there. <clears throat> now, another guy called Hushai, he's an archite, what does he want him to do? He's kind of coming out with David, and he tells him, go and do what? Yeah, I don't want you to come with me. I want you to be a spy back there. And Ahithophel, uh, I want you to counter his advice. David's been told Ahithophel's with Absalom. And what about Ahithophel's advice? What does the scripture say about it? It's, it's, like God, it's like God giving advice. It's, the guy is just really good with what he tells people to do. It's going to work, but I want you to go back, and I want you to try to be a counter to his advice. Try to make it, try to make it worse, right, in some way or another. So just counter it. 
Um, so that brings us up to chapter 16. That's chapter 14, verse 25, through the end of chapter 15. So we'll read a few verses as we get into the, into the text, and we'll try to stay on target. First four verses here, it says, When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him <clears throat> with a couple of saddled donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, uh, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. So who is this guy? What, is, what, what has been his purpose up to this point? David's going to ask him about it. Right, and remind us who Mephibosheth is. Yeah, David had this, you know, the soul of David was knit to the soul of Jonathan. That's when Saul was still alive. Jonathan and David died at the same time. They're at the end, uh, end of 1 Samuel, the very beginning of 2 Samuel. He dies in battle along with Saul. And Mephibosheth is his son. Uh, so David feels an affinity for him. He put, appoints Ziba, a servant, for him to do things for him because he is crippled in his, uh, his feet. He can't get around very well and those types of things. So that's verse 1. Verse 2 says, And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. Then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will <clears throat> restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I may find favor in your sight, O my lord, the king. So he claims that Mephibosheth has deserted David. David showed him all this kindness. He's eating at David's table and all those things. And Mephibosheth, he says, Ziba says, Mephibosheth is, has this idea that the kingdom is going to be restored to my father, to Saul. Does that make any sense, really, for him to think that? I mean, it really doesn't. Saul doesn't have any descendants really left for the throne. There's, there's some supporters, right? And then there's Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's not taking anybody to, to, uh, to task for this. He's not going out into battle. Who's the, who's the opposition? somebody from David's house. So the only ones that's going to be in charge here at the end of the day are going to be either David or Absalom, and they're both of the house of David. So Mephibosheth saying this is kind of possibly a tell that Ziba's making some stuff up, and I don't know that he is. Um, when, you, when you look at some of the things that, that, uh, that happened here, Ziba here is given all of Mephibosheth's belongings and so the question comes up, is Ziba telling the truth about Mephibosheth here, about what he did, staying behind because of this? What does Mephibosheth say later? I know we haven't gotten that far yet. This is all the way forward into 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 24. So Ziba, gives, or Ziba is given Mephibosheth's land, but later if you look at chapter 19 and verse 24, and I don't, I don't mind skipping forward, we'll just go over it again. Um, now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. So he's, David's coming back in Jerusalem. He's crossing the River Jordan, and people are coming to meet him and invite him, basically invite him back in. That's a bad way to put it. Paying homage, I guess you'd say, to David as he's coming back in to take, retake the kingdom. So Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. 
And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king. Now this is later. He comes and bows before the king at the river, and then sometime later when David's back in Jerusalem, Mephibosheth comes, and David wants to know, why didn't you go with me? What's going on here with all of, with all of this? So he says, he answered, my lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant, my lord, the king. But my lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were, not, were but dead men before my lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So the king said to him, why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. So what do you make of that response? It's always been kind of strange to me. It, it is, when we look at David's kingship, ever since he does what he did with Bathsheba, and goes into Bathsheba and kills Uriah and all this kind of stuff, we see him making judgments, maybe up until the time when he says, let, let me be in the hands of God, and God will do to me what he wants to there at the end of 2 Samuel. But he, he seems to be short on making strong judgments. And here's another place. The truth is there somewhere. Either Zeba's right, and Mephibosheth is saying, hey, the king's going to come back to me, or Zeba has de- deserted Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth wanted to be with David the whole time. But he doesn't even really seem to want to find the truth. He says, I've already spoken on the matter. You guys are dividing the land. It just seems odd. Does anybody have any thoughts on this that maybe I haven't thought far enough down the trail? Yeah, very well could be, very well could be something, something along those lines. It's, uh, that, this thing between Mephibosheth and Ziba has always kind of bugged me a little bit about why he didn't seek a little further to, to give true justice that was there. But you know, we see kind of the same thing, what we're about to come upon, where Shimei curses David. Shimei has sort of this encounter with David, and then there's this long period <laughs> where that Shimei finally gets what he really deserves for cursing David, but it's not done until David's dead. He, he leaves it to somebody else to do it. Um, so let's move on to Shimei. Uh, this starts up in verse 5. Verse 5. This is 2 Samuel chapter 16, and it goes through verse 14. So, now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, son of Gera, coming from there. He came out, cursing continually as he came, and he threw stones at David, and all the servants of the king, or of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. So this guy is really bold. Here's David escaping, going down. Everybody knows David's got these mighty men. It mentions them at the end of uh, 2 Samuel. Not anybody to trifle with. And they're all on each side of David, going up one side of this valley, brook between them. Shimei's on the other side, cursing and throwing stones at David, and, and the rest of the soldiers there with him. What does one of the soldiers want to do to him? Anybody? He wants to kill him. He said, 
why are you letting him do this? It's Abishai. Let me go over there and just cut off his head and we'll be done with it. Uh, let's, let's read on, chapter, uh, verse um, 7. And also Shimei said, thus when he cursed. This is what he was saying. Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. So it happens at Baharim. This is, a, this is not very far from Jerusalem. Um, it's kind of over the hill past the, the um, Mount of Olives along the Jericho Road. I do have a map here. And I don't know if I can... Well, you can see it. I've kind of blown it up so big it's hard not to see, which is which is kind of nice, but um, so here's Jerusalem right here. Here's Bahurim. We're not very far, but it's on this road that goes down to Gilgal and Jericho. So it's not too far that all this happens. Bahurim is going to come up again later. A lot of commentators believe that Bahurim is the same city as Nob or Nob. I'm not sure how to say that. Anybody remember what happens at the city of Nob? N-O-B. Has to do with David, right? David fleeing Saul, and it goes down to the priests at Nob, and then there's a guy that comes there, Doeg the Edomite. Saul comes upon the, the priests, and David's already fled, and he's taken Goliath's armor and sword and all that kind of stuff. And Saul orders the priests executed, and a guy named Doeg the Edomite says, I'll do it. All these other men say, I'm not going to kill these priests. But this is where, likely where that happened. And it has, so it has two names, or they're very close in conjunction with one another. All right, so Shimei cursing David. He accuses David of violence towards Saul's house. And it was David guilty of violence towards Saul's house. That's a question, isn't it? No. <laughs> he actually, multiple occasions, has the ability to outright kill Saul and is encouraged by his men to do it. And he's like, who am I to lay my hand against the Lord's anointed king? And so he doesn't. He doesn't do that. They are, they're killed in battle um, by Philistines, if memory serves me uh, correctly. So he refused to lay a hand on Saul. Really, the person responsible for bloodshed against Saul's house was God, because that's, that's who announced it was going to happen. And then he does it through the uh, foreign enemy. So David behaved towards Saul's house in a, in a very good way. Abishai, as I said, seeks permission to behead him. Uh, verse 7, also, uh, verse 8, sorry. The Lord has brought on you the blood. Uh, let me catch up to where I'm supposed to be. Verse 9, sorry. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Now, what's David's reason for not letting him do that? If my own son is cursing me, and coming against me. Oh, we'll just read it. I don't try to, don't try to, to uh, sugarcoat it or anything. <clears throat> he says, what have I do to, to do with you, you sons of Zeruah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite? Let him alone, and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, and that the Lord may repay me with good for all his cursing this day. 
And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who are with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. So nice place to refresh yourself where somebody's hurling insults and cursing and throwing rocks at you and things like that. So my own son's trying to kill me. We're not going to stop this guy from doing what he does. What happens with Shimei? It's a long, long um, awaited thing that happens with him. Remember, Shimei comes back to him. David's coming back in Jerusalem. He's down at the river. Shimei's one of the first ones to meet him. And it records it for us there in chapter 19, which we were at earlier with Mephibosheth. So we go to verse 15. This is a little bit before Mephibosheth. Then the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king and escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there are a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba, the servant of the household of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the way that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For I do not know that today, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. So he's made this... He swore to him, you're not going to die. And you get the idea as you read on. During my lifetime, this is something uh, that David remembers till the day he dies. Look at 1 Kings with me. 1 Kings chapter 1. And verse 8 and verse 9. Here David is in his final days. He's on his deathbed. It says, but Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed, uh, that's not where I want to be. 1 Kings 1. Chapter 2. Thank you. I knew it was close. Oh, here we go. Thank you. And you see... You, and see, you have with you, he's talking to Solomon here. See, you have with you Simei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse on the day I went to Mahanaim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood." It's been somewhere in the realm of eight to ten years ago that all that happened. David remembers it. He's saying, don't let him off the hook. Now, Solomon does avenge Shimei after David dies, chapter 2, and verse 36, I believe it is, 36 through 46. I'm not going to read all of that, but 
just because you'll, you'll, we'll study it when they get there. But uh, Solomon basically goes to Shimei and says, you move to Jerusalem. I want you to build a house in Jerusalem, and you never leave that house. When you leave the house, that's when you're going to die. And so it's like three years later that he basically has put him under house arrest. Three years later, he has some donkeys break out or some livestock get loose and, and go away. So he leaves the house to go and get those and bring them back. Solomon hears about it and goes to the house and said, didn't I tell you? If you leave the house, you're going to die. And then he executes him, has him executed there. So a long time coming with, with Shimei getting, um, having vengeance brought upon him, so to speak. So any thoughts on Shimei before we move on? A lot of, a lot of stuff there with him. I'm sure there's a good sermon in there. All right, so we're skipping ahead. Chapter 16 and verse 15 through 17 and verse 14. That's quite a long uh, period to go, to go through. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Is is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? He's talking about David, of course. And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his will I be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I, should I not serve in the presence of his son? And as I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. So that kind of settles it for Absalom. Uh, Hushai is, is now loyal to, to him. He believes him. Of course, we know that Hushai is there just to be a spy and to try to, to make things go worse for Absalom, a little bit better for David, and let David know what's going on. So Ahithophel then advises David in these next couple of verses here in um, verse 19. Let's see. Uh, verse 19 or 20. Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. But the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So his, his advice to David, this is the first part of it. This is to make yourself abhorrent to David. Also the, this idea of if, if you take his, his wives or his concubines into your harem, you're assuming kingship. That's kind of what would happen later when Solomon becomes king and, and Adonijah wants to take over that throne. And he says, give me Abishag, the Shulamite. She was David's last wife, the one that just kept him warm. And that's a, that's a, a statement that I think I am the rightful king. I'm going to have the former king's wives. Um, the way these, these ladies were treated is just uh, shameful and uh, an awful thing. It's, a, it's really a, a study unto itself. We go back to what started this whole thing 
with Amnon and Tamar. And you got Tamar living as a, in her brother's house for the rest of her days, just taken out of, out of life. And these, these ten women, that's going to happen to them as well. When David comes back into Jerusalem, he's going to keep them in his house, but he's not going to know them anymore, so to speak. So uh, just a terrible situation that they are put in. Uh, moving on, Hushai counters Ahithophel's advice. Um, we haven't gotten to all of Ahithophel's advice yet. That's just the first part that ends chapter 16. For chapter 17, he goes on to give advice about actually killing David. Now, I want us to notice the very personal way that he says that he wants to do all of this. He wants to take 12,000 men right now. Now, there's our first question. Who wants to take 12,000 men? Ahithophel. He wants to be in charge of it. Let me take 12,000 men and go get them. Let's listen to this. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you, when all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the same pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Notice how personal that is. This is an advisor. He's not one of David's mighty men. His son is one of, the mighty, one of David's mighty men. It's mentioned at the end of this uh, book of Second Samuel. But somebody mentioned that he is, uh, last class, that he is the the grandfather of Bathsheba. <clears throat> His son was Elah. That was one of David's mighty men. Elah's daughter was Bathsheba, who married Uriah the Hittite, another one of his mighty men. David has kind of bungled that situation and messed their, her, her life up somewhat, uh, a good bitch you might say. And um, so he has this axe to grind with David for how he handled that. We don't know what his relationship was like with Uriah, but you kind of get the idea of this personal want for vengeance against David, that he, he really hated David for what he had done to Uriah and, and Bathsheba and their family. So anybody have any thoughts on that before we move on quickly? All right. So that seems like the best advice. We're not going to give him time. He's, he's weary. He's on the way out. Give me 12,000 men. I'll go and I'll just it's going to be so smooth, Ahithophel says, I'll just kill the king, and I'll bring everybody back. There will be virtually no losses here. Um, so, Hushai's got his work cut out for him, because everybody likes that. They like it easy. Verse 6, uh, or verse 5, Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. So shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, The advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are <clears throat> enraged in their minds, like a bear is robbed of her cubs in the field. Your father is a man of war. He's not going to camp with the people. He's got all kind of stuff that he's saying here. Uh, you don't want to. You don't want to go on right now. They're they're angry. They're ready for a fight. They're waiting on you to come. And if you go up on them and the mighty men, you're going to lose. Then all your men are going to flee. 
And even if you go, do go and have some success, David's not with the people. He's not sleeping with them. He's off in some cave somewhere. He's hiding. And then you're going to lose because of that. You're never going to find him. So here's what you do. What does he tell him? Muster the entire army. Not just 12,000, the whole army. And you lead them into battle, Absalom. And that's, that's a way of showing, hey, I am the new king. I am in charge of things. I am conquering the, the, the last king. Ahithophel is not going to have anything to do with this, really. So he really likes what is told him to do by Hushai. So uh, that's what he's going to do. And it gives David a little bit of time to get out of town, to get to safety, kind of regroup. And that's what Hushai thought was the best thing to do. Hushai gives really the worst advice, it seems, to, to uh, Absalom at the time. And Absalom just takes it on. He likes him, the, maybe the idea of himself being in charge and leading this charge of the army against David and just routing everybody that's in his corner more than he does just David dying, which is what Ahithophel says. So, but we got to remember, what does it say to us about why Hushai's advice is taken. The Lord had appointed it. Yeah, it really wasn't the best advice. I mean, really that stuff that Ahithophel said, that should have been what he followed, but he didn't because God was kind of guiding this thing and uh, making it to where David could, could come back. So, um, Ahithophel, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> Exit stage left, I'm over this. What does he likely think is going to happen? Well, Hushai's advice is really not that great. It just appeals to the pride of Absalom. And so when David wins, which is probably what Ahithophel thinks, he's going to come back into Jerusalem, and here I am, a defector. What's going to happen to me? Oh, there's no telling. So I'll just end it now, and we'll just get out of here and not worry about that. So he... Uh, Definitely had some things going through his mind. Don't know if I'm right on exactly what he thought because it's hard to get in somebody's head. But um, it's, it, it is likely he figured he was going to be tried as a traitor with the way things were starting to go. So David now, we enter that spy network that he set up there at the end of chapter 15 with Hushai and, and Zadok and Abiathar and their son Jonathan and Ahimeaz. Uh, Hushai is going to let David know, hey, you got a little time, but you don't need to waste time. Get on across the river get across the river tonight with everybody and get up to wherever it is you're going. Turns out, where is he going? It's on the east side of the Jordan, a place called Mahanaim. Say up north, I believe it's across the Jabbok River. I may be wrong on the name of the river because there's like four rivers there. Nevertheless, he's, he's up there. So Ahimeaz sends Jonathan, uh, Hushai sends Jonathan and Ahimeaz, the sons of Zadok and Abiathar. They go down to this place called Anrogel, which is right outside of Jerusalem. And somebody sees Hushai talking to them and sending them away. And they chase after him, and they get all the way to Bahurim. Remember what happened there, Shimei cursing David, David taking a rest. But they get there, and these guys come, and they're trying to find them, going to arrest them, take them back to Absalom. They hide in a well, and some other people hide them there and, and conceal where they are. And um, they're never found. They get up, and they go and tell David exactly what he needs to know for what is going on with him. So let's read a little bit about that. Verse 15 says, Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised, Absalom the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Therefore, 
send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend the night in the plains on the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimeaz stayed in Onrogel, for they dared not be seen, into, <coughs> seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharim, who, <coughs> who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and uh, spread ground, ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. When Absalom's servants came to the woman in the house, they said, Where is Ahimeaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Now it came to pass after they had departed that they came out, to, out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for this, thus as Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. That verse 23 is where Ahithophel kills himself, which we've already talked about. And then verse 24 through 29 uh, David comes into Mahanaim, and it tells us some things about what happened there, um, that Amasa is placed over Absalom's army. Now, he's related to David. Of course, Absalom's related to David. Anybody remember how they're all related? We see David using this, this statement several times when he talks to Joab or, or, or Abishai, when Abishai said, let me go over and take his head off. What am I to do with you, you sons of Zeruah? Now, who is Zeruah? It is his sister. He's got a, this family tree. Uh, we're talking about David's uh, family tree on different places, about his brothers and that kind of thing. So here's Jesse, David's father. He had a sister named Zeruah, and they also had another sister named Abigail. I take it that, that Abigail and Zeruah were full sisters. could be that they're all fully related um, with the same mother and same father. I'm not really sure. But Zeruah has Asahel. He died back in... The, the first when David was coming and going against the, the remnants of Saul's house. Now we know Abishai, he wants to take everybody's head off. And then Joab is just this schemer we talked about last time. Well, the other sister, Abigail, has a son named Amasa, and he is put over, over uh, Absalom's army. So he's David's nephew, Abishai, and, and Joab's cousins. So <clears throat> that talks about that. And you find that information, if you want to see that real quick, in First Chronicles chapter 2. Turn there with me. We'll read that because we are just about out of time. Verses 10. First Chronicles 2 and in verse 10 it's a genealogy. Ram begot Amenadab and Amenadab begot Nashon, leader of the children of Judah. Nashon begot Salma. Salma begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. And Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot Eliab, his firstborn. Abinadab the second. Shimea the third. Uh, Nathaniel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozim the sixth, and David the seventh. Now their sisters were Zeruah and Abigail, and the sons of Zeruah were Abishai, Joab, and Asahel. Three, Abigail bore Amasa, and the father of Amasa was Jether, the, Is the, the Ishmaelite. So that is the family tree there. Thank you for your attention, and as I said, Wednesday night Brent will be teaching the class, so thank you very much.